Hello and welcome to the weekend wrap for the week on Wednesday. My name is Ben Davison. I am your host on this Sunday, the 14th of May in the year 2023. And of course, a very happy Mother's Day to my mum, Fiona, and my other mum, Kim, and to all the mothers who are hopefully having a lovely day wherever you are around Australia and indeed around the world. Of course, we now live in the great Labor government of Anthony Albanese, where the role of women in our society is celebrated not just on Mother's Day, but throughout all of the systemic Uh, and policy infrastructure that we put in place, whether it be from improving the participation of women in the workforce through improved access to childcare and early childhood education arrangements, through to removing pay secrecy, which has been driving down women's wages and creating even worse gender pay gap conditions, right through to lifting the wages of workforces that are predominantly employers and of women, such as in aged care, where we saw a massive investment uh, in this Commonwealth budget. Now, of course, the budget has been the big news of the week, and insiders spent quite a bit of time talking about it and talking with Jim Chalmers. A couple of things I want to say about insiders this week. It wasn't very insightful, quite frankly. There was a lot of fluff and discussion at a very surface level, a lot of repetition of liberal talking points, and quite frankly, no real insight into the economic impact of the budget or even the ideological framework that helped to create it. As Van and I discussed on Wednesday's episode of the week on Wednesday, this is clearly a step towards a more Keynesian approach to economic management. And quite frankly, the insiders panel discussion around inflation and whether or not the budget measures would be inflationary had about the same depth as what I would expect to overhear in a cafe in North Melbourne. Very little depth indeed. The markets are pricing in rate cuts towards the end of the year, which implies that most of the markets believe the budget was counter-inflationary. Why would the budget be counter-inflationary? Well, because there is a surplus. How does a surplus reduce inflationary pressure? It takes money out of the economy. There were increases in taxes for the super wealthy. There were increases in taxes for major resource companies. These are all counter-inflationary measures. I feel like I'm having to say this over and over and over again. Quite frankly, it boggles my mind that insiders can have a panel, including people from the boss's pamphlet, who quite frankly should have some grasp of this, yet not discuss the counter-inflationary measures in the budget. Was there some additional spending? Yes, there was. What was the bulk of that spending on? It was in reducing underlying price pressures through improvements to Medicare, through improvements to urgent care, through reduction in pharmaceutical costs. These are all counter-inflationary for households. There was also more places in fee-free TAFE. Again, reducing inflationary pressure for households direct reductions in energy pricing 
by providing $500 uh, reductions through the retailers. Again, price reductions for households. It just boggles my mind that there is still this narrative being run that somehow or another, every time Labor spends a dollar, it must be inflationary. What you spend the money on, how you spend it, how it accesses and gets into the economy or how it's taken out of the economy actually does have an impact. And frankly, David Spears and the Insider's team need to demonstrate they understand those nuances. Otherwise, they're not really insiders so much as they're just talking heads. And maybe a rebrand is in order. Maybe it's time for it to be called Talking Heads. Because quite frankly, it doesn't appear as though the insiders panel really has any insight into what Labor's doing at all. In fact, Andrew Proben went so far as to acknowledge he's not involved in or on any social media platforms at all. Now, that may well be fine and can understand why you'd want to curate and manage the toxicity of some social media platforms. In fact, Van has an excellent piece in The Guardian today about how social media is affecting uh, our social interactions. But to hear someone on the insider's panel admit that they're simply not across a primary source of news and information for the two youngest demographic groups of voting age, that's 18 to 24 and 25 to 34, is quite frankly disturbing. This is a time when more and more people are accessing information online. You're hardly an insider if you're just not aware of it. And let's be really, really frank here. They spent a lot of time talking about Peter Dutton and his budget reply, his one idea, which was to allow people on JobSeeker to work more before their payments are impacted. They spent a lot of time trying to break apart Labor's budget announcements. Personally, my view, it is totally unacceptable that Peter Dutton, having been a minister for nearly a decade in a government that deliberately drove down wages, that deliberately undermined working people's ability to have more secure employment, that allowed the proliferation of digital sham contracting in the NDIS, in aged care, in food delivery, in transportation, is somehow or another allowed to refer to the quote-unquote working poor. If there is a working poor in Australia, Peter Dutton has a massive massive burden on his own shoulders and has a huge responsibility for having created it. Quite frankly, it's appalling that it's not called out. Peter Dutton voted against industrial relations reform. The Liberal National Coalition is opposed to more secure employment and higher wages. Full stop. They have consistently argued against measures that improve 
wages for working people. They have consistently argued against measures that improve the bargaining power of working people, the power of working people to band together to negotiate improvements in job security, wages, and safety in the workplace. Peter Dutton consistently argues against working people. Let's be really clear here. While the union movement has been campaigning to lift wages, particularly in our lowest paid sectors, to lift the minimum wage, Peter Dutton and the big business lobby have consistently argued against it. Fundamentally, you need to be a member of your union. You can go to australianunions.org.au slash wow. You can join your union because, quite frankly, the misinformation and obfuscation that Peter Dutton and elements of the media engage in when it comes to wages and conditions is appalling. The truth of the matter is the Liberal Party is against working people. Now, in opposition, they'll say whatever they need to in order to try and rebuild the numbers of support to win government. But the reality is, after a decade of mismanagement, wages were being cut and going backwards. After a decade of ideological obsession, more people were working multiple jobs than ever before. There were cost blowouts in every government-run service not because the public sector was inefficient, but because artificial caps on the number of public sector workers meant there were huge expenses going to consultants. Mismanagement in the NDIS, in aged care and in privatised health meant costs were blowing out. And the simple, simple things, and it came up in the discussion on Insiders, The NDIS is a multi-billion dollar program, yet the government does not leverage its power as a collective buyer to secure secure equipment needed for participants. Someone quite rightly pointed out on social media that most equipment needs some form of modification. Thankfully, we live in the era of mass customisation, You only need to walk into any store or showroom to be presented with the plethora of options that are now easily available for mass customization to occur in most physical goods, most equipment. I'm not saying it's as simple as walking into a car showroom, but certainly with the resources of the Commonwealth, you could be getting better prices. Instead, under Morrisonism, we allowed, in fact, we forced individuals to go and negotiate on their own. Unsurprisingly, prices have been high and people have found it difficult to secure supply. These are basic economic principles and tenets, yet somehow or another, insiders and many sections of the media continue to perpetuate this mythology that Labor is not quite the better economic manager. Not only is Labor the better economic manager, returning a surplus, increasing job seeker payments, the largest increase in rent assistance uh, for many, many decades, 
improvements to Medicare, all the things we talked about on Wednesday's episode. You can go back and check all of those out for yourself. Labor is also a better manager of itself. Not only is Peter Dutton's own caucus divided and split on issues ranging from the voice through to housing, its party is disintegrating all across the country. In Victoria, the Liberals have kicked out Moira Deeming, which is good because, quite frankly, Moira Deeming has empowered and emboldened far-right Nazis who took to the streets in Melbourne yesterday. Now, I am heartened to know that having attended two markets in regional Victoria yesterday, both of those had far more people in attendance than there were Nazis on the streets of Melbourne. A very vocal, very attention-seeking, spotlight-driven group of far-right people are trying to make out that they are the majority. We saw this throughout lockdown. We saw this throughout COVID. We saw this in the lead up to the state election in Victoria. This is a small but potentially dangerous minority. And yes, we must keep an eye on it, but we should not overplay who they are. And as much as I will never vote for John Pesuto, I have no interest in the Victorian Liberal Party succeeding because fundamentally they are not the party of working people, it was good to see him kick Moira Deming out of the Liberal Party. Now, of course, this is something that should have happened before the state election because Moira Deming was re-elected as a Liberal. But fundamentally, the Liberals in Victoria are divided. Moira Deming is not alone in that caucus, in that party, with her extremist beliefs. In fact, there are many people in the Liberal Party in Victoria and indeed around the country who support her extremism. One only needs to look at what's going on in Tasmania to see how divided the Liberals are. Two members of the Liberal state government quit the Liberal Party over the Launceston Stadium precinct development. Now, as Van pointed out on Wednesday's show, this precinct development does include does include housing components. And this brings me to the discussion about housing. Right now, in this country, we have the Liberal Party and the Greens working together to stop the construction of more homes for people who live in this country. The Liberals are trying to frame up the whole debate through the lens of migration. The great irony being, of course, that during their decade of mismanagement, the Liberal Party imported and exploited temporary migrant workers en masse across multiple sectors, not just to exploit the labour of those workers, but to keep a perpetual state of higher unemployment in this country and downward pressure on wages. Deliberate ideological policies of the Liberal government, almost never discussed, and again on insiders, was not touched on. The Greens 
have a completely different ideological opposition. While Max Chandler-Marr might be making very successful TikTok videos, he's also spreading misinformation and disinformation. Instead of setting up a fund that would build homes in perpetuity for Australians with minimum levels of housing guaranteed for every state, Max Chandler-Marr wants the Commonwealth to freeze rents. And on the surface of it, that sounds good. But of course, it's not a Commonwealth power to do that. Also, we know that freezing rents for two years would see a reduction in supply, not just because those who stand to lose immediately say they would not invest in more housing, but because we have seen that happen in other places around the world. Does there need to be better rent controls? Absolutely. Is that something the states are working on? Absolutely. Is that something the Commonwealth can provide leadership on? They already are through the national cabinet process. The problem for the Greens is not that they actually want a solution, it's that they want the campaign talking point. Because we know that at a local level, the Greens continue to block and stop the building of more homes. So while Labor in the budget is creating incentives for more build to rent, the Greens at a local level are preventing the construction of homes. In fact, in the seat of Griffith, Max Chandler-Marr has campaigned against the construction of 1,300 new homes. These are inner city seats. We know the Meribeck Council has opposed the construction of homes. In fact, they have gone so far as to suggest that somehow or another, rental properties in holiday towns, coastal towns around Australia, could somehow be repurposed as social housing. Now, I'm not a huge fan of empty holiday homes, but the simple reality and logistics suggests that that is a nonsensical idea. Are they expecting nurses, teachers, sanitation workers to drive two and a half hours from their assumingly government-seized property in Portsea to provide services in western parts of inner Melbourne? That's a nonsense. No, what the Greens are doing is what the Greens have always done, and that is sought to shift responsibility and take advantage of the fact that most people don't understand the delineation of responsibilities between local, state, and federal governments. Now, maybe there are members of the Greens in federal parliament who don't understand those delineations either. It wouldn't surprise me. But I suspect that the reality is a little more sinister and that the reality is the Greens, not a serious party, not a party of government, are seeking political advantage. They will not form government at a Commonwealth or state level anywhere in this country, with the exception of a Territorian 
coalition in the ACT. And so never have to back up any of their rhetoric. They can argue that we should all get free housing. Now, they're not going to do that, obviously. They've learned to nuance the lines, to make it difficult to break through, to get across, through and over the fog. But the reality is the Greens and the Liberals are both, for very different reasons, voting against more housing. The Liberals, because they want to campaign to that right-wing idea, that anti-migration idea. The Greens, because they are effectively NIMBYs and don't want working people living in, quote-unquote, their seats. I also want to take issue briefly with the analysis offered up about Peter Dutton and that somehow or another Peter Dutton is a chalk outline and we don't know who Peter Dutton is. The reality is we know exactly who Peter Dutton is. Peter Dutton was a minister for 10 years. Peter Dutton is the man who tried to scare Victorians about gangs that simply didn't exist. He tried to have militarised border force agents stop people and check IDs in the street. Peter Dutton is the man who joked about climate change drowning our neighbours. Peter Dutton is not a serious leader. Peter Dutton is the man who walked out of the apology to the stolen generations. He is the man who walked out on issues around marriage equality. We know who Peter Dutton is. Now, the media might want to pretend that somehow or another going into opposition has made Peter Dutton a different man. But quite frankly, a new set of glasses and some focus group tested lines does not change the underpinning of who he is. Peter Dutton remains an arch-conservative, not even a Menzian. He is an arch-conservative. And if allowed to take the position of Prime Minister in the future, he will absolutely punish the working people of this country, whether they're in work, looking for work, unable to work, or retired after a lifetime of working. There is so much going on in Australia at the moment and indeed around the world. Briefly, I just want to give a huge shout out to everyone who has supported our podcast over the last few weeks. Van and I have been extremely busy and had a very uh, busy, busy time doing a lot of different things. We hope that you've enjoyed the podcast. We'll continue to uh, make episodes uh, over the coming weeks, months. May was a record, uh, sorry, April was a record month for us. We hope to repeat that in May. Again, I would just urge people to have a listen to last Wednesday's episode. This was a Keynesian budget. 
targeted relief for those most in need. Downward pressure on inflation through surplus and tax changes. Building for the future by improving Medicare, the health system, and investing in TAFE. Now, is there more to do? Absolutely. We need those reforms to the NDIS to get rid of the shonks, the digital sham contractors, the fraudsters, and improve supply for participants. We need investments in education. This budget was a bit light on. There were some investments in the Northern Territory, which showed it could be done after a decade of Morrison artificial caps, but more will need to be done in the future. And of course, we need to continue to increase participation in the workforce for women, for people with disability, for all people, for older workers, for younger workers. There is more opportunity out there and keeping unemployment low will be a key focus. It was raised on Insiders, so I will briefly touch on it. The employment white paper will be a fundamental part of how Labor seeks to govern into the future. And quite frankly, if the Liberals and the Greens give Labor a double dissolution trigger on housing and they refuse to support genuine reforms to workplace laws to stamp out sham contracting in the so-called gig economy, to improve job security and lift wages for people, and Labor has the opportunity to go to a double dissolution, well, I'm sure there'll be a news poll out tonight, but the last news poll had Labor leading 56-44, and I think it would be very, very unwise for the Greens or the Liberals to think that they could somehow or another, somehow or another, take down the Albanese Labor government when the numbers in the middle in our compulsory voting system clearly show people's support for policy direction of the Albanese Labor government. So until Van and I are able to speak with you again on Wednesday, please have a read of Van's article in The Guardian. I'll send it out to our supporters through our buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday. You'll get the link to that story when you get the link to this podcast. If you're not already uh, a supporter, you can check that out at that website I just mentioned. Uh, it's really worth reading because it stresses how important it is to be kind to yourself and to each other.